This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Welcome back to the second part of our discussion with Dr. Sine Heuber Larsen from the University of Southern Denmark. We are talking about lifestyle sports, and we are talking about parkour. And in the first part of our conversation, we broadly talked about Sine's work, the history of parkour, the institutionalization of parkour, and sportification of parkour. So a really interesting discussion, a lot of interesting ideas. I recommend to listen to that part uh, before this one. And so we'll be exploring Sine's most recent article uh, with the title Parkour, Playing in the Modern Accelerated City. And the paper was published in the Journal of Philosophy of Sport. And in this work, she's exploring the ideas of alienation and non-alienated human experience, which is something that she argues could take place at least momentarily in in the practice of parkour. So let's just start with um, what were some of the ideas and, and questions that you wanted to explore in, in this work? So in the, in this uh, paper, I I was interested in in describing some of these uh, profound uh, and meaningful experiences that the the practitioners have when they are practicing parkour. So they are so parkour is characterized uh, by this change in perception. So you uh, you see and you experience the the urban spaces in a different way, and uh, and also feel heavily connected to to the environment that you are you are moving in and the and because of that i i found rosa's uh, concept of resonance uh, very well fitted to uh, to describe and and to analyze some of these experiences that the that the practitioners have when they are practicing parkour and also because i found it quite interesting that we are we are spending a lot of money and time and resources to make very nice urban spaces in public so we put up a lot of uh, green stuff we put benches we put the colors to make it attractive to people to uh, to dwell in in urban space but when i looked at the practitioners uh, in parkour they're not attracted to that kind of of stuff Uh, they were attracted to to places that we could uh, better grasp by characterizing them as non-places you know uh, disgusting places or or non-important places, the places that you don't even recognize because it's just the, on the backside of a supermarket where you have some railings or some old walls or some old uh, concrete uh, walls. Uh, and uh, I found it quite interesting that the, that the petitioners find these non-places so attractive uh, 
and actually feels connected to these places when they are when they are moving in them. Um, so I found that quite interesting, and and I figure uh, I actually uh, found out that uh, Rosa's theory about resonance and especially also about aliasing could uh, could explain why the petitioners were so connected to these uh, yeah non places in uh, in urban space. Yeah, and. When you are using these concepts of resonance and arguing in the article that parkour can mo- offer these moments of non-alienated experience, then would the premise be that if that's non-alienation, then most of the time the modern person in the city would be alienated? Is the city something that is alienating us? And if it is, wh- why is it so? Yeah, that's that's one of the... The main argument from the German sociologist Hartmut Rosa mm-hmm. that I that I draw on in my paper is that we get more and more alienated, uh, not only from urban space but uh, but also from time. So he actually he draw on uh, uh, Max uh, Max's writings uh, and he described this uh, fivefold alienation of uh, of man. So what Hartmut Rosa do? In, the, in his theory is that he is elaborating on Karl Marx's theory about man's fivefold alienation. So he says that we're not only alienated from our actions, the product we produce, mm-hmm. from nature, other people, and ourselves, but we also alienated from time and space. Um, we are alienated from space because uh, in contemporary society we we move and we relocate ourselves faster and faster and uh, and uh, because of that we have urban planning solution to increase mobility and uh, because of that we have cities full of these non places that I that I spoke of before mm-hmm. so we see more and more urban spaces that they actually hold no significance to us and uh, and where we remain anonymous and um, and also, I think it's quite funny. He 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 mentioned that when we move around in the city and in the street, we also stop paying attention to our surroundings. So instead of uh, of looking up and uh, and exploring and seeing the the urban space, we have our eyes fixed at our cell phones. Mm-hmm. And I think most people can can relate to that, uh, having done that, uh, walking in the street. But his point is that that we are actually not present. We are somewhere else a lot of the time when we're moving in uh, in urban space and. Uh, in relation to time, he argued that we are regulated and dominated by a very, very strict and uh, tight temporal regime. So, uh, and that this time pressure is uh, is actually an overarching challenge to all of us today. He also has this description that we live in the age of ever increasing to do lists. Uh, we're always short of time, and I also think most of us actually can relate to that. <laughs> so. His point is that yeah, yeah, his time is that we don't have time to make time our own. That's one of the other great uh, challenges. So he uh, elaborate on this, this, and uh, the point is that the that this alienation from the material world, from urban spaces, especially, and uh, and also time, it has serial consequences for us because it transformed the way we are embedded in in the world um, the world so to speak become mute and silent as he says mm. it's difficult for us to uh, to create and maintain a, a coherent life story and meaningful experience when we when we always are somewhere else or on the time pressure 
So you could say that his diagnosis of our society is quite depressing. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, he do argue that we have possibility to experiencing resonance. And, and he highlights three important activities that you can do to have this momentary experience of, uh, of resonance. And that is uh, nature, experiencing nature. And it is uh, art and religion. And then uh, with inspiration from my, my dear mentor and friend, Henning Eiberg, uh, who did a lot of studies in, in play and the uh, Rosa's theory, I suggest in this, uh, in this paper that, uh, that Pakua as a playing bodily and social activity actually can be understood as a way to, to recapture moments of, uh, of these non-alienated experiences in, the, in urban space. Yeah, when you talked about like that, we lose the somehow the connection or the touch with the city, and and we are <laughs> looking at our phones and all those things. So, just reminds me that I always love to go running if if I'm traveling, like going for a conference or something like that. So I think like running first thing in the morning when the city is sleeping, mm-hmm. and then you can explore those places. So I think some of that and when you are running you can't be <laughs> using your phone and and it's also kind of a more intense moment or experience of the present because you're out of breath and you know quite aware of your embodiment and and so forth so i just that was just something i thought about right away when you th- said about mm-hmm. the lost of lost connection with with the urban yeah. space yeah mm. and also some something quite funny is is happening in Copenhagen because they are like expanding the subway in Copenhagen and I have some friends who had uh, moved to Copenhagen after the expansion of the subway and they got used to taking the subway whenever they were going someplace in Copenhagen mm. and I was visiting them after two years and I, I, <laughs> I experienced that most of them can't find their way around in Copenhagen at all they have no idea how close some of the area of the city's uh, the city area is placed. So <laughs> I suggested that we should just walk because I know it would take like five minutes. And they were like, no, no, we have to take the subway because they have no uh, connection to uh, <laughs> to actually the geo uh, to the space as such because they just got used to taking the subway. So they have this. They don't have this concrete physical knowledge about how to find their way in the, in the city and, and how far away or close the different area was placed. And, and I just, I found that a little bit scary actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that you lose the, you lose your uh, competence to, uh, to find your way around in the city because you just get used to, to go in the subway and then the subway can transport you while you are sitting with your eyes down your phone and mm-hmm. are some, and up. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah, I have that same experience in Shanghai. That only after I got the bicycle and I was able to ride around the city, then I understood mm-hmm. how places are connected to one another. And before that, mm-hmm. taking the subway, you just know that you take this metro five stops and then you are there. But you had like no idea, mm-hmm. and and so on. So yeah, I, I certainly share that experience as well. Mm-hmm. And so if we then go back to that concept of resonance after doing a little yeah. <laughs> sidetrack mm, so what, what what does um, resonance look like what what is that characterized by 
Yeah, so it's it's a very it's actually a the a quite the difficult concept to grasp, I would say. So Rosa makes clear that it has both this ontological level and a normative level. So on the ontological level, uh, it describes this basic entanglement we have in the world, uh, which also the phenomenologist uh, describes. And uh, on the normative level, it, uh, it is to be understood as this inherent aspect of, of living the good life. So resonant is when we feel fully alive and when we have deep, meaningful experiences and uh, and when we have interaction with other people or in our environment and and feel connected to it as and and when it becomes a part of of our history so he actually uh, put up four crucial qualities that characterize this experiences of resonance and the first one is uh, is affection uh, that we feel like truly touched or moved by something or or someone we uh, we encounter so that could be other people, or it could be like uh, nature, or it could be the built environment. It's also characterized by emotion, so that we feel emotion, uh, we feel we answer, and we feel that we react uh, to the world and to other people with our, our body and our mind. And uh, in being touched and affected, uh, and by reacting and answering to the world, we also transform ourselves. So transformation is the, is the fourth uh, crucial qualities in the, in the experience of resonance. And the last the quality is elusiveness. So uh, this concept actually describes how resonance is always like a temporary uh, fleeting form uh, of association created in the moment. moment. And in Rosa's latest work, he, he described this uh, quality as own uncontrollability so i think the important thing about that is that that resonance is not uh, something we we can have as a constant relationship uh, and it's also nothing something we can have without having some prior experience of alienation so having resonant experiences uh, actually presupposes experience of something foreign mute or or something inaccessible. So uh, if we don't know the feeling of, of feeling a little bit alienated or depressed or uh, mute or uh, like uh, the world has, has uh, turned silent, it's also very difficult to actually have like quality, qualitative resonant experiences. So it, it's, and, and that's also why I found it quite interesting in relation to Bakur because it is the most alienated spaces in the in urban space that the, that really attracts the petitioners yeah i think one one thing that strikes me in that um, description that you gave is that resonance seems to be a lot about receptivity or openness whereas just yeah. thinking of typical sports psychology would say that you need to produce like the optimal state of mind and optimal features of the environment in order to somehow you know produce optimal experiences in people whereas yeah. the resonance seems to be a lot more about this being touched by something that is yeah. beyond our own uh, willing to produce anything yeah yeah you can't force it yeah in that way mm -hmm. yeah and what seems to be in flow research a lot is that at least from the psychological perspective that practitioners uh, researchers are trying to find out how you can produce this optimal <laughs> uh, possibility for flow to occur 
I also think the resonance concept is uh, is more connected to the social fear and uh, and to to history as such because flow is something as I understand the concept in in psycho- as it is used in psychology it is mostly used as an individual concept so flow is something you experience in your own head and body when things are just going your way and you get focused on what you're doing and uh, and uh, you lose your feeling of, of yourself actually and the the experience of resonance is also about like feeling a part of a greater story so actually several researcher has uh, has described how flow is uh, is an important experience in parkour so as as you just describe it now it described this state of optimal experience and absorption and one activity but i think as you say it's important to keep in mind that resonance is something else than flow because while flow experiences uh, reduces our spatiotemporal horizon to here and now what i'm doing right now i would say that resonant experience expanded so it's uh, it's opening experience uh, like uh, you feel connected both to the past and uh, also to uh, to the future so we, we can see that in the in the parkour spots because they uh, like a parkour spot in parkour is a, is a special place in the city where the petitioners uh, keep coming back because yeah it's a nice place for practicing parkour but also because they have a lot of uh, history uh, woven into into this place so the petitioners can remember what uh, movements other petitioners has done there before so in this way these uh, movements become a part of the history of uh, of this place and um, and I think like a part of the question why they also do that is is because the past is actually co-present in the, in these parkour spit, uh, spots and they, and when they move in these places the petitioners they actually enter into this history of the place and they, and they experience themselves as a part of this history of the of the parkour spot so i think there is some social dimension and and the temporal aspect to uh, to resonance to the concept of resonance that is different to to the concept of flow mm. and i think importantly what what you said about that resonance is something that is uh, preceded by alienation so i'm wondering whether yeah. the parkour practitioners do they talk about alienation when when you've done your studies uh, not directly mm-hmm. yeah actually in a different you can say they do indirectly because what motivates and fascinates them is that they are able to transform this uh, their attraction to to urban space so so all of them have had the experience that they suddenly saw opportunities in a urban space that they in a space that they before didn't realize at all because they didn't see it because it was like a non-space or they saw possibilities in a place that they thought us of as ugly before or disgusting or a, a bad place that could be used much better but suddenly they changed their perception of this non-place and have some really uh, meaningful and positive feelings attached to to these uh, places that that they saw before as like disgusting or 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 not relevant at all so uh, so it is like the it's more like the transformation project that they talks about and and not like 
that they feel alienated uh, from from these spaces because because you can say that there's something that the, that the, that really makes a contrast to uh, something that is a really great contrast between the parkour petitioners and like what we would call ordinary people is that they are having so much positive feelings attached to these non-places so they're not indifferent to uh, to these places but they but they practice a, a unique concrete physical presence in these places and they and thereby enabling uh, positive experiences in these if it makes sense mm, yeah i think it's important <laughs> when when you say that you know before those places they might say it ugly or not mm-hmm. <laughs> not speaking to you or silent or in a way that that then they see it in a uh, different way when they engage with the place with with parkour so i can certainly see that and maybe i think that time element and that story element was also something that was really important and it was something that was like making the resonance the idea of resonance different from flow so maybe just expand a little bit on the stories in parkour and how par- uh, practitioners tap into those stories so in the paper, I I argue that that these uh, parkour spots, these special urban places that they keep coming back to, I actually argue that they are. Uh, we have to understand them at, as what I call historical charted charted sites of resonance. So besides uh, Rosa, I also draw on the phenomenologist uh, Edward Casey. Uh, Casey and uh, his description of place and I use this to describe how these parkour spots are, are constituted by the petitioners ongoing uh, configuration of movements as well as as the stories they tell each other uh, and they remember about what impressive routes of movements that the other petitioners have done there before them and uh, and by knowing these stories and uh, by moving in, in these parkour spots the individual petitioners uh, become a part of uh, of the future in this place. So they be- actually become a part of this thing that I call an intertemporal community. So their actions and experience, uh, they get integrated into this coherent history and um, and thereby also uh, enabling these experiences of, uh, of resonance as we just uh, talked about. So uh, the parkour spots... Uh, thereby actually produce what I argue is uh, is a biographical resonant wire for, for the petitioners. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think what is quite often in, in many psychological studies, if we talk about like motivation, <laughs> why do you do something? Mm-hmm. Often, yeah. often that kind of storied element of how your practice becomes some part of some bigger story that keeps going and i would guess that the parkour mm. practitioners are also at least some of them are also integrating their experience to this broader unfolding story of parkour how it started as this somewhat alternative even uh, mm. critical uh, movement or cultural critique so yeah maybe that also gives them some some meaning to be part of that bigger story of uh, resistance Mm, exactly yeah you end up your article with thinking about some of the possible differences and similarities 
if we think of this idea of resonance in other lifestyle sports and activities such mm-hmm. as skateboarding, maybe just a couple of mm-hmm. words on those ideas, maybe they could be extended into other lifestyle sport activities as well. Yeah, because I think that the Ruta's concept of uh, of resonance uh, do not only offer a an important background and concept for understanding uh, the spatio-temporal aspects of parkour, but but as I see it, it could also be an important background and concept for understanding other lifestyle sports as well, especially those who has this same kind of uh, way of uh, of changing the perception of uh, of urban space. So we have, for example, skateboarding, as I as I mentioned in the in the conclusion. So I think it it. It could be like a relevant uh, concept to to explore further in the, in lifestyle sports where the environment is is not only a passive background but play a role as a, as an active playmate in the in the in the practice. And uh, I try to make a little uh, comparison between the uh, parkour and skateboarding. What I ask in the end of my paper is uh, if parkour uh, have has a unique potential uh, for these uh, resonant experiences or uh, it is also something that you can have in other kinds of uh, of lifestyle sport and I, and I truly think it is I think it could be relevant concept for for understanding the special temporal aspects not only of, on parkour of parkour but but also other lifestyle sports where the environment is it's not only this passive background, but it's an active playmate. Mm-hmm. So it might n- not necessarily be urban spaces, but it could also be nature. And it, it can sound as paradoxical to to mention nature as something that could be alienated <laughs> uh, people. But I actually think nature can be alienated for for some people if you live all your uh, your life in the in city and the only nature you know is a park then it can't actually be quite the uh, alienated to uh, to go into uh, to some uh, to some aspects of uh, of nature and uh, yeah so 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 i think it could be relevant there as well now you talked about the your running earlier yeah i i think just to say that uh when you are talking about that some people maybe could be alienated from from nature i think it's it's also we can do nature based activities like we can do running or skiing or any of mm. these things and we can still approach nature in a very instrumental attitude so it's just a platform yeah, exactly. for our skiing and we just want to be doing our loop to increase our fitness but we don't mm. really have any like a resonant uh, experience of the nature so we just use it for our own projects so certainly that's possible as well yeah there is something quite interesting about the the instrumental uh, approach or the instrumental attitude towards the environment in the in the in sport because you could also say that that the practitioners in parkour or, or skateboarders do have an instrumental attitude towards urban space because they're using it for their activities but i think what is very important to keep in mind is that that they are not you can say the urban space is not only a passive background and that's the difference 
it is like an active playmate. So they actually experience that when they move in places, they remember stories from those places. And they, and they also feel often that the environment and the urban spaces speaks to them. They want them to do some uh, kinds of movements uh, that, that, that just suddenly appear when they, when they glance at the, at the urban spaces. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think you can have the same thing in nature. As you say, you can have a very strict instrumental way of using nature just as a passive background for for uh, downhill mountain biking or running or mm. so you can run and you can have uh, earpods in your ears and uh, be somewhere else or you can run and you can have a, a specific uh, focus on your on your strides and you can have a specific focus on your breathing and the sound of the nature and and in that way you can go into a to a less instrumental <laughs> way of uh, of using uh, the environment for your activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is more relevant if you, uh, it's more like a, a good basic for having resonant experiences. Mm. Yeah. And now we go slightly off the, again, our main track. But when you said about this mm-hmm. instrumental versus non-instrumental approach if we start talking about running then this i mean having all this technology like these running watches and gps mm-hmm. and all these things so i'm i'm wondering what is the relationship with the parkour practitioners like do they use any technology do they track their activities or maybe just the other because it's also a huge culture that is online you know in terms of all these videos and all that other stuff mm. so what what is their relation with technology in in various ways that would be the broad question yeah the most uh, the biggest role of technology in parkour is the uh, social media so social media is the way that the movements are are shared and discussed and actually also the way the, the the culture of movements are developing also because the social media is a is a central way of uh, of learning parkour so uh, they they look at social media to to see new movements and uh, and also to get good tips on how to practice them and it actually also plays a role in as a part of the uh, constituting constituting these uh, these special places, the parkour spots. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if um, a petitioner has done a very exciting or interesting creative move in a place and it is filmed and put out online, uh, a lot of petitioners will travel to that place and find it and try to do the same uh, routes of movement. So it's actually, uh, yeah, it's actually a medium for how the culture is, uh, is developing and uh, a part of the, uh, a part of parkour is like uh, online as well. So it's not like clearly just a, a physical culture, but it also have this digital side to it. But they don't use like technology in the practice. So a lot of uh, shoes company, for example, has tried to develop really good shoes for parkour. And uh, I mean, some of them has become a little bit popular, but uh, but I think most practitioners has the idea that that parkour is, if you're a really good practitioner, you don't need special shoes. You use the shoes you have. So it's um, it should be something that you could, like, the ultimate goal is that you can move uh, wherever you are uh, at whatever time you uh, you want. So uh, 
so there is this critical stance towards technology actually when it comes to to the bodily practice mm-hmm. yeah so i would say that that the biggest role that the technology is is playing is a, is a part of the developing the culture and the and of course also for promoting the activities so for people and the petitioners who are trying to make a living out of this uh, lifestyle sport the social media plays a crucial role in the yeah in this work mm-hmm. yeah i can see that and just like you said earlier maybe in the first part that it's parkour is not something that you go for a session and that's it but if they think about it much more as a lifestyle and they see these places where they could be practicing in their everyday life so in that sense Mm -hmm. having like putting your training kit on and now you train and then you switch off is not really like (laughs) the spirit of how many of them understand what they do yeah yeah, mm. but there is actually a quite a, a interesting differences to a difference to a, to skateboarding because when you're practicing parkour, most practitioners are using training clothes. So parkour is something that you train. Okay. While if you skate, if you skate, you skate in your clothes. Mm-hmm. So you never see somebody on a skateboard in training clothes. So. Of course, there are a lot of uh, similarities between skateboarding and parkour, but there are also like different, they are connected to different cultures. So I would say that parkour is much more related to uh, like to fitness culture, uh, to functional fitness culture and gymnastics mm-hmm. uh, than, than skateboarding. So you still have this idea about training the body and, uh, and, and it's not the same in skateboarding. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, we had quite a long conversation i i was really inspired and will certainly look forward to reading uh, your further work that comes out as well so thank you so much for for the conversation thank you so much Snow. it was very very nice and uh, and thank you for this uh, this good podcast i really enjoyed it thanks for joining us this week on physical activity research through podcast If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day